All right, we're back with week three of the Reaction Podcast. That's right, episode three. I feel like I feel like these episodes need to like looking back on it, like Star Wars. We're going to need to begin to name these episodes. Yeah. So, Revenge of the Sith. Revenge would be of the Psalm. Revenge of the Psalms. That's good. That's episode, good. I like episode it. Episode three. I like it. I like it. So we're still we're still kind of in the prototype phase. We're on Facebook. Uh, hopefully, move into iTunes soon. Maybe even Spotify. I mean, dream big. Taking on the interwebs. We want to get uh, in the car with parents. We want to get on the phones. Make that easier. Uh, and that's the direction we're headed in. Yep. But we're still kind of just testing this thing out to see what it can be. Yeah. Yeah. Just seeing how high she can fly. Yeah. Yeah. So we're in uh, week. Four of our Thrill Ride series. We've been talking all month about faithfulness, and we've yep. been looking at different moments in David's life as he goes from being a boy who is fighting Goliath to being a king who's trying to manage a kingdom. Uh, and he has all these wild ups and downs throughout that journey of good moments, bad moments, um, good things happening to him, uh, moments of obedience, and then bad things happening to him plus moments of some disobedience. That's right, yeah. Uh, but we see David and God's relationship uh, kind of staying beautiful all throughout despite circumstances and decisions changing. So where we're catching up this week, uh, David has kind of moved through the Bathsheba incident. He's asked God for a new heart. Um, he has gone back to worshiping and praising well, and he's trying to still manage this kingdom um, that he's over. Some turmoil starts to happen in the family. Some messy family uh, drama takes messy place. Messy family drama, yeah. Yep. His son Amnon uh, decides to rape one of his daughters, Tamar. So that's right. obviously a very dark moment in their yep. family tree. Yep. Absalom, another son, decides to kill Amnon uh, as, a, as a result of that. And during all of that happening, David loses his mind. He ends up in the wilderness going crazy. Yep. Pulls a, a Nebuchadnezzar, if right. you will. Yep. Uh, and then Absalom ultimately tries to take his throne. So his son, who's avenging uh, all of this, decides maybe I could lead the kingdom better. And so there's a, there's a revolt, and David's army has to fight against his own son. Ultimately, Absalom dies in that process. Um, and to top it all off, David's big dreams to build the temple. It's the only thing he wants to do. God says, no, you can't do that. There's too much blood on your hands. I know that's the thing that you want to do for me, but I'm not going to allow you to do that. So we're finding David in an interesting spot, not so much uh, in the the midst of dealing with his sin, but more just in the midst of crazy things happening around him. Yeah, and I think, man, this is where the, like we say this in HSM, and and um, but this is, the, this is the place where if, you know, as you're reading this story, and a lot of us, like, you know, typically the story of David, you know, stops after a certain point. Like, we tell the story of David and Bathsheba, and he asks for a new heart, and that's kind of where, the, at least the VeggieTales version, that's kind of where it all stops. Yeah. We don't get into this kind of stuff. And this is the kind of stuff where um, what we say in HSM is Bible. the Bible people aren't Bible people. Like, people in the Bible, and that's always kind of, you know, something that we we kind of assume is that, oh, well, the reason that the people in the Bible are able to do the things that they're able to do is because they're Bible people. Well, they're not. They're just people people. And you look at David's life and the craziness, the literal craziness in his family, and as a parent, you know, and as a family member, there's a lot of this you can begin to relate to of going, well, you know, maybe, you know, my kids aren't literally killing each other, you know, but at the same time, it does feel sometimes like our, our world's chaos. And, and like David, it's like, I'm losing my mind and I just want to go live in the woods, right? It would be better for me to live in the woods than for me to live in this house one more day, you know? And even as kids, you know, there's sometimes students where 
we look at the way our parents are trying to parent and we say, well, I think I can do this better than you, right? Um, you know, when I'm a parent, when I'm a dad, I'll never do this. You know, I can remember thinking that as a kid, you know, and, and, and going, I'll never, I'll never do this. And I'll never, I, I could be a better dad than my dad right now, or I could be a better mom than my, you know, it's like those kinds of things. It's like, these are the things where you go, oh, so the people in the Bible actually are a lot like me. Yeah, they are. Yeah. 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 I think it's cool. This section really lends itself to that reaction idea uh, because it's one of those parts of scripture where you might look at it and think, okay, all the, all the Sunday school stories are over and this is just kind of filler space. It's like right. the books of the annals of the kings of Israel. And, and I don't understand what Absalom is doing. And I don't understand these names and these circumstances and these battles and everything that's taking place. But what we can tune into and what we start to gain value from is uh, to start to look at David's reaction in the midst of these situations, right? Because even though the circumstances aren't necessarily as clear or as familiar as the other stories in David's life, um, they're still pretty crazy and there's still a reaction a response yep. um, in David's story and in the Psalms that he writes that we can learn a lot from despite kind of the crypticness of the circumstances on the surface. And so I think this is a great uh, just kind of point in how to study scripture. Like it's, sure. a, it's a great uh, spot to look at and then start to realize maybe there's other characters in the Old Testament who are going through crazy stuff like this, crazy battles, weird political moments, um, who are having reactions that display their faithfulness or unfaithfulness to God. Yeah. And what can we learn from that? Yeah. Uh, so good. I think it's a it's a cool opportunity. So there's a couple misconceptions yeah. uh, that are addressed, I think, through this portion of Scripture. One of them is that faithfulness to God ma- uh, demands perfection. Like mm. you have to be a, a perfect person, otherwise you're not a faithful person. Right. Uh, the other one is that once you are faithful— Um, And once you kind of put on that cloak of perfection, life will just get easier. Hmm. Um, And that faithfulness equals ease or equals smooth sailing. uh, Because once you get right with God, in air quotes, you know, like that's a term that that I think it's thrown around so much, getting right with God. It doesn't mean that life is going to just get peachy after that. Right, yeah. It doesn't Um, mean God's going to get right with you. Yeah. Yeah, there's that expectation sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. So so from the story, what, what... how does it kind of speak against those two misconceptions? Yeah, and I think that's, I mean, I do think that's something that we often assume is that, well, once I get right with God, God should make things right for me. And that's that's not always the case. I mean, you look at David's life, and clearly, you know, from from the, you know, the, the Bathsheba moment and even moments prior to that, I mean, there, there's, you know, you can tell there's, there's things in David's life, even in the David and Goliath story when he shows up at the camp and, you know, his older brother looks at him and says, the only reason you're here is because of your arrogance, right? So there's seeds of things in David's life that you would go, okay, well, you know, maybe that arrogance kind of rears its head again in the Bathsheba moment. And, and there's even moments too where you see David get kind of hot-headed and, uh, and, and react to certain things. And uh, like there's, there's parts of David's life where he's far from perfect. Um, and, and, and the thing was, I mean, it, despite that, his life wasn't always easy. And, and some of David's difficulties we see from his story were, were brought on by his own choices, right? And some of those things were just brought on by the fact, by the fact that life is life uh, and life is, is difficult. And I think one of the things that we said you know, on Sunday is that, that faithfulness for us isn't, isn't an issue of us trying harder to be better. 
you know, and, and that, cause that kind of puts it in almost a transactional relationship with God. So, well, if I try harder to be better and therefore achieve, then God should reward my performance with some kind of, you know, it's like all of a sudden we become the employee and God is the employer, right? And I'm trying to work my way up the ladder in status and standing. And, and as I do that, I can, I should continue to get a raise, right? In terms of, well, God, I'm being faithful. You see how hard I'm trying. You see how, how much better I'm doing. Um, that's not, that's not how this works. I mean, it all comes back to being all in when it comes to our relationship with God. And so I would say, you know, think about it less from a standpoint of a transactional deal and think, in, think about it more in the standpoint of, of, a, of what we would consider real relationships. You know, parents, your kids make mistakes. You know, parents, we make mistakes. Parents, our parents make made mistakes and continue to make mistakes. Um, but we don't reward them, you know, or we don't, at the end of the day, our love for them uh, at the end of the day is it's not based on, you know, we don't have an annual or quarterly performance review with our kids, right? Maybe we do in a sense that they bring home a report card every nine weeks or six weeks or whatever it is. But, but that's how they're doing in school. We don't sit down with our kids and have like a performance review to go, let's go through the things that, you know, we don't have those kinds of things. And so it really does come back to being all in when it comes to our relationship. And so, so David has some serious failure in his life. We have serious failure in our lives. Our kids, students, there are times that we don't measure up to the, to the expectation of our parents, right? And so there are times we fall short, but still in the midst of that, David's considered a man after God's own heart. And I think it's the same thing for us, you know, in that sense of, you know, we, when it's not one of those deals where we assume, well, I failed once, so therefore I'm out. It's a one strike and you're out kind of deal. That's not how it is. That's not how it functions. Um, and so there are, I mean, one of the things we talked about on Sunday is it's important for us to realize that, that this whole idea of David can have this life of ups and downs, this life of twists and turns, some of which were caused by his failures, some of which were just caused by the fact that life is life and things go crazy sometimes. Um, the fact that he could still be considered a man after God's own heart is not for us licensed to just go out and sin, right? We said that on Sunday. That's not how grace works. You know, Paul talks about that. He says, you know, should, should we go on sinning so that grace can increase? No, that's, that's not how this works. And, and, and really for us, like parents and students, we've got to begin to, to kind of understand the definition of, of what sin really is. And, and we talked about this Sunday. We said, you know, sin is, are these moments when we intentionally step out of the space that God designates as the best way to live. So looking through the scriptures, God is clear and he says, look, I, I'm the creator of life. I'm the author of life. So, you know, therefore I've got, I've got not just the best opinion. I have the opinion when it comes to how life is meant to be lived and, and, and how it's meant to be lived in the best way. I mean, Jesus talks about that. I came so that you could have life and have it to the full, like have it to the fullest. This is the best way to live. So, so God's the, the guidance and instruction that we get in scripture when it comes to life, it's the best way to live. That way is better. But sometimes we look at God and we say, I think I can do this better than you. I think I can do this whole life thing better than you. And then we kind of hop out of that space. And it's not like, I think a lot of times we think, well, God's, God's will or God's rules or God's way of, it's such as it's this narrow road, you know, but really, if you look at it, God gives us a, a, a pretty decent lane to run in. And he says, look, if you run in this lane, and it's just like any highway, right? It's just like any, it's just like the Gene Snyder or, or I-64. There, there's guardrails on the interstate for a reason. It's, you're meant to drive in between those guardrails. Now, you can go outside the guardrails, but when you do that, 
you're taking your life into your own hands and, and, and honestly, the lives of others. And it's the same way when it comes to sin. There's this space, there's this lane that God designates and says, here's the guardrails. But sometimes we look at him and we say, God, I think I can do it better than you. And we hop outside of those guardrails and we say, I'm going to go this way. And, and the, the thing that we talked about on Sunday and the thing that we never see David do, which is interesting, which I think this comes back to faithfulness. A lot of times what we do when we hop outside of those guardrails and, and we get into a wreck or things blow up, we blame God. We look at God and we say, how could you let this happen to me? Or, you know, how, why didn't you save me? And God's going, well, man, it was your choice. Like you, you chose to blow up your life. You chose to hop outside of the, the guardrails. David never did that. And I love that. David never did that. When it came to his sin, and this is, I think, ultimately why at the end of the day, why David can, can wear that label of a man after God's heart, is when it came to his sin, when it came to those moments, he owned it. And in the midst of him owning it, he repented. And, and repent is this fancy church word that literally means to change direction. So he realized, man, I'm going down a path, and, and, and this path is, is leading me into a, a head-on collision with a wall. I just ran into a wall called unfaithfulness, or I ran into a wall called adultery, right? And instead of me continuing to just pound my head against that wall, I'm going to change my direction and get back on the path, get back on the track, right, and according to the thrill ride deal. Um, and he never let go of the rope, right? He never let go of his relationship with God. Um, and so I think that's an interesting thing. And I think for us, as we think about just the application part of that, um, I think it's, it's important for us, students and parents both, uh, to take a good long look in the mirror and, and look at the, the, the situations and circumstances in our lives and stop blaming God for things that aren't his fault, right? I think a lot of times like we've got to, and, 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 and you know, it's like, it's like you're, you wrecked your boat and your boat is sinking and you're blaming the guy that's tossing you a lifeline, you know, like somehow the guy that's trying to save you from drowning, you're trying to, it's, it's your fault. And so I think for us, it's beginning to, to step into this place and students own what you need to own. You know, if you made a mistake, if you jumped outside of the boundaries that your parents established, you know, we talked about honoring parents last week. If you jump outside of those boundaries, it's easier if you just own it instead of trying to make an excuse about it. Parents, to do the same thing, you know, to, to own the things you need to own and enter daily into this, this thing of repentance of I need to change the direction of my life. And in changing the direction of my life, I got to rethink and, 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 and rework everything so that I continue to move closer to God and to walk more in, in line with him. Um, and repentance isn't something that happens one time when we're baptized, right? It happens, it is a daily thing. And so the application piece is, I think for this, for this when it comes to these misconceptions, is if we want to, to be faithful like David was faithful, we got to own the stuff that we need to own, not make an excuse for it. And, and enter into this process of repentance of going, yeah, I need to change the direction of my life. And the cool thing is you don't have to do that alone, right? There, there are people, for students, I mean, obviously there, there are leaders in your C group, friends in your C group, peers in your C group, obviously the high school staff, we would love to be a part of that. Parents, same kind of deal. Repentance is not something that has to happen in isolation. Um, and so there, there are ways to get connected here at the church. Going, Look, I need to change the direction of my life. Will somebody walk with me in this? The answer is yes. Uh, let's do that. Um, and it's something that we do every single day. God, let me today walk more like you and walk more in your, in your footsteps today than I did yesterday. Um, help me to continue to rethink and, and react um, in a way that looks more like you uh, and to grow in that. So, yeah. Yeah, I think the key there is that faithfulness is a, is a mindset and not an action. It's a mindset that's going to lead to action. 
but it, but it takes place in your heart. It takes place in your mind. And repentance is the same way. Like you can't repent truly until you're in the right mindset. And if you repent, your actions are probably going to change in the future. Sure. But it but it starts there. The flip side of that is it's important to to know that faithfulness doesn't mean doubt can't exist. Correct. It doesn't mean that your split second first reaction to that call to that uh, to that command that you get is going to be perfect because doubts are going to happen in that process. But it ultimately comes down to just a balanced mindset of. I love God so much that I'm going to be faithful to him. I'm going to wrestle and reconcile these doubts that I have. I'm going to wrestle and reconcile with these temptations that I have. And I'm going to find this point where my action, my mindset, my heart reflects the fact that I love him more than yeah. anything else. Yeah. Uh, and it, it's easy to, to apply you know, the illustration of your relationship with your spouse, your relationship with your kids. Uh, your relationship with your parents to this to this balance, like you you know uh, how you feel about those people, and they know how you feel about them. But it's not because of just the way that you treat them, because actions can can be taken without you know a heart behind them. Mm-hmm. But it's easy to see when that's the case. Mm-hmm. You, know, you could you can do the right thing for your spouse, you can do the right thing for your kid, but if that's not aligned with the heart that you have for them that's not going to last very long yeah. or they're going to see right through it. And I think faithfulness and repentance work the same way. Uh, y- your heart, your mind, your action, those three things have to align, but the the metric, the barometer for where your faithfulness is can't just be your action. And it yeah. can't just be uh, your just your gut reaction to things because there's going to be messy parts to both of those sides of the spectrum. Like you may doubt in the beginning and you may mess up on the action side. But faithfulness is something that lives in the middle of that, and it's just a love for God. Sure. It's putting him before everything yeah. else. And I think even, you know, Mike, even hearing you say some of that, you know, one of the things that I'm thinking about is, especially when it comes to this idea of, like, David owning owning the mistakes that he made and owning the, the situation. He was not afraid to own what he needed to own. And ultimately, at the end of the day, it's because he was full of faith, right? Faithful. He was full of faith, and he understood I'm going to own this, but I'm also going to trust that in owning this, God's going to catch me, right? And I think a lot of the times the reason that we're afraid to own something, you know, whether parents, it's we're afraid to own our mistakes to our kids or students, like we're afraid to own our mistakes to our parents. It's because somewhere, somewhere in the back of our mind, we doubt if I own this, then everything's going to change or it's all going to blow up and no one's going to be there to catch me. And like you're saying, it is, it's a mindset. It's, it's a heart set even of going... No, I'm, I, if I'm going to be faithful, I need to be full of faith. And, and I've got to trust that in the midst of all of this, that there's going to be, that, that, that the hand of ultimately my Heavenly Father is not going to let me fall in such a way um, that I fall away. Like he's going to catch me. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a huge thing. Yeah. That. I've been reading a, a book about doubt called When Faith Fails uh, by Dominic Dunn. And, and the, the biggest thing that I've taken away from it uh, kind of about all this is just the idea that doubt is neutral. Yeah. So the 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 doubt itself does not imply you're going to go one way or the other. It's your choice. When the doubt starts, am I going to run towards the direction of trusting and loving God, or am I going to run in the direction of okay, well, this doubt's causing unbelief in me. The doubt itself is not bad, uh, but then the choice becomes: Am I going to be faithful or am I going to be unfaithful? Right. Uh, and I think that's important when. You're, you're sitting there feeling like well, everything is falling apart around me. How could this be 
if I'm faithful to God, uh, you have to you have to make the right decision with that doubt, and you have to make the right decision uh, with your sin and with your consequence. Um, that's good. So, so looking at all of this, uh, it, it's easy to say, you know, life is not necessarily going to get better. Uh, yep. It's easy to see that in the story, but maybe is there anything else you can speak to in terms of just why? Uh, why do bad things mm. happen to faithful people? Because that's yeah. you know that's the the textbook question. That's a big question uh, we get from people uh, who are wrestling with the whole idea of faith and God and that kind of thing. Um, you know, why is that not uh, a one to one exchange? Faith for success, right? Yeah, yeah. And I think, man, you know, like we talked about on Sunday, like God answers prayers, and typically in one of three ways: yes, no, or not yet. You know, and and. A lot of times the answer is no, you know, like we see even there's a precedent for that in scripture. You know, Paul talks about there's a, you know, there's a thorn in my flesh and I've asked God three times to take it away. And God's response is my grace is sufficient for you, which is short for no, uh, trust me. Right. Um, and I think that, that a lot of times we, we do have that expectation of a one-to-one exchange. Um, and the way I, the way I typically explain that in, in ways that at least people get, can understand it is from a standpoint of an environment. You know, and so we think about an environment, like for example, the, the story I usually tell is, you know, if I showed up at your house today with a, you know, with a helicopter and, and said, okay, this helicopter is going to take us from Louisville, Kentucky to, to the South Pole, right? To Antarctica. Um, when we get off the helicopter, what are you going to feel? Cold, right? Because that's the environment of, of Antarctica, right? Now, if we hopped in that same helicopter and said, all right, we're going to go from the South Pole to the Sahara Desert. When we get off the helicopter, what are we going to feel? Hot. And, and the, the same is true when it comes to the environment that we live in and sin. So sin infiltrates everything. Just like in Antarctica, the cold infiltrates every part of that environment. Or in the Sahara Desert, the heat infiltrates every part of that environment. Or in Louisville, Kentucky, pollen infiltrates every part of our environment, right? It's allergy season in the Ohio Valley. Um and so we got to deal with that. And now you can do things to insulate yourself from that. Like in Antarctica, you can wear a down summit suit or in you know, the Sahara Desert, you can wear wickaway clothing and have a camelback and you know, drink lots of water. And in you know, Kentucky, you can get allergy shots and take, take Allegra, like you know, those kinds of things. Uh, but still, you're going to have to deal with it. And I think at the end of the day, that's, that's the, the, the issue of why do bad things happen to faithful people? It's because we live in a fallen world. Now, ultimately... God says, I've got the solution for that, and I'm going to redeem this fallen world. There's a day that my son's coming back, and when he comes back, he's going to set everything right, right? It's going to go back to, like we see in the Old Testament, when God stands back and looks at creation and says, it's good, it literally translates in Hebrew, it works like it's supposed to. There's a day that God's going to do that again, right? And that everything's going to go, it's going to get reset to a place of, well, this is how it's supposed to work. Um whether that's our bodies, whether that's sickness, whether that's, you know, where our happiness and our joy come from, you know, all of that stuff is going to be reset back to a place where it was before the fall, right? Um, And so we have have that to look forward to. But in the meantime, I think we've got to do the work of protecting ourselves. And again, there's a precedent for that in in, in Scripture from from a standpoint of uh, in Ephesians, you know, the Apostle Paul talks about the armor of God. And so we've got to armor up. We have to be prepared, right? So so that we're prepared when when the schemes of the devil begin to play out in our lives. And he does have schemes for us. He has plans to take us down. That's what he wants. Jesus says, the thief, the enemy, comes to steal, kill, and destroy. 
And so I think for, for a lot of us, when we think about, well, how come bad things happen to faithful people? How can I, it's time for us to begin to protect ourselves from that, you know, and I would encourage you to, to read, you know, about the armor of God in Ephesians. Um, and, and ultimately at the end of the day, um, you know, a, a pastor friend of mine, Jim out in Colorado, he, he did a sermon one time, uh, not, not, not too long ago where he said, look, if you want peace, prepare for war. Now that doesn't mean you're looking for a fight. That doesn't mean it, if you want peace, go get in lots of fights. No, if you want peace, prepare for war, which means you need to get yourself ready so that when the schemes of the devil show up at your at your doorstep, you understand that there is, you know, like the breastplate of righteousness and the belt of truth and, you know, that the helmet of salvation, right? Like the, all of those things are, are covering you. Um, and so that when the time comes, you know where your help and where your strength comes from, because our bodies are going to wear out and fade. Why? Because of sin. Uh, our strength will fail. Why? Because of sin. People around us are going to get sick. Why? Because of sin. Like there are, we'll lose our jobs. We'll get laid off. There'll be conflict in our homes. Why? Because of sin. And in those moments, like we have to know where our help comes from. And we have to remember whose faith is ultimately unfailing, right? In in all that. And so it is, if you want peace, prepare for war, get yourself ready. Yeah. I think the way that we see David preparing for war here, he probably learned back when he prepared for Goliath. Uh, because if, if you think that term, prepare for war, it sounds like putting on traditional armor. But you look at the way that David did it, you look at the way that Gideon did it, people throughout the Bible prepared for war by putting on trust in God, mm-hmm. by putting on the spiritual armor, yep. by putting on faithfulness yep. uh, as a coat, and that's armor that fits, like we talked about a couple weeks ago. That's exactly you know, right. It's, yeah. it's not man-made armor, it's not metal armor. Uh, it's armor that fits, and it's faithfulness to God. And we see that time and again, characters in the Bible, David right here, putting that on as their armor. That's cool. Um, so at the end of the day, if, if we're looking at things through that perspective of our armor is faithfulness, mm-hmm. uh, then we're choosing to say I, the, the, the success, the outcome, the legacy, the redemption of this situation is not on me. Right. And uh, the redemption of this situation is not going to come to fruition because of my actions or my ability to carry the weight of this on my shoulders. Like, I'm not going to be able to necessarily fix this no matter how hard I try, um, but I'm trusting that God can fix this. You know, what is that relationship uh, between how faithful we are to God and how faithful he is to us? Yeah. Like, what does that exchange look like at the end of the day? Yeah, well, I think it ultimately what we see from David's life is that the key to David's faithfulness really had nothing to do with David. It had everything to do with David's understanding of God's faithfulness, right? So, you know, David had this big, fantastic, crazy, messy, chaotic life. Uh, but the thing that fueled his life was, was God's faithfulness. Like, and, and you think about that, even from a standpoint of fuel, right? I've got a, you know, my Jeep, you know, it's got a, you know, you raise the hood of my Jeep and there's a, there's a 3.6 liter V6 engine in there. Right. And, and, you know, like you look at, you look at my Jeep from the outside and there's a winch on the front and there's big tires and, and all that kind of stuff. And it's like, all that's really cool. But if there's no fuel in the tank, it doesn't go anywhere and it serves no purpose. Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing from David's life and the same thing for our lives of what, what enables our faithfulness to be what it is, is God's faithfulness to us is our fuel, right? It is what allows the thing to go. And I think it's so cool when you look at, you know, you look at what drives an engine, it's the fire that comes from fuel, right? That fuel ignites in that engine and, and that turns the pistons and that turns the crank and that gets the wheels going. And that's where the power comes from is from the fire that's generated from that fuel. Well, the same thing exists in our lives. 
the, the fuel, our fuel to continue to remain faithful and be people who are faithful. Uh, not just to God, but people who are faithful. We, we express our faithfulness to God in our faithfulness to other people, through our character, character through our integrity. Uh, the thing that fuels us, the thing that fire that drives the engine of our lives is the fact that we have a God who, when it comes to faithfulness, he doesn't fail. Right? And we see that in Psalm 71. So, you know, it's, I love that, that, that there are psalms that coincide with these moments in, in David's life. And, and Psalm 71 comes at a point when, when David's life is nearly over. Uh, and Psalm 71 is David kind of recapping and going through all these, like, yes, I'm an old man, but don't. And he's going back through and thinking about his life. He's reflecting back on his life. And, and if you notice in that psalm, it's, God, you did this. And God, you do this. And God, this is who you are. And and it's like David is looking back on his life. And, and like we talked about the illustration and where this fits with Thrill Ride is when you hop off the roller coaster and you go get the picture of yourself on the ride. David's looking at the picture of himself on the ride and going, man, if it weren't for God, this ride wouldn't have ever gotten off, you know, out of the out of the gate. Um, and he's reflecting back on that and go, every aspect of my life, God, came from you, right? Um, the, the, the ups, the downs, the loop, I was sustained in the loop. I was, you know, held in the ups and downs. And, and, and all of this at the end of the day is fueled by your faithfulness. And, and um, I shared a story on Sunday, uh, you know, a Native American kind of write a passage story. And, and I won't go into the whole thing. But, you know, at the end of the day, you've got these these. For, for these Native American boys to become men, they have to stand in a place that's really dangerous overnight, right? In, in, a, in a time that they perceive to be alone. They're blindfolded. They have to leave all their weapons behind. They're stripped naked. And they have to stand at the edge of a forest where all the bad things are um, and where they're vulnerable and exposed. And they think they're there alone. When the morning comes and they remove their blindfolds, they see that their fathers were standing with them all night, you know, at the ready with their weapons, with their armor. Um, and I think that's, that's how God works for us. And, and I think for us, it is, you know, the, the application piece of this is we got to take off the blindfold, right? Like those young, like those, those Native American young men, when you take off the blindfold, you realize your father was there the whole time, right? And so for us parents, you know, there's, we, we read in the Bible that we are to bind this on the foreheads of our kids, right? That we are to bind this truth of this is who God is, this is who God is, whether your life feels good or whether it feels bad. This is who God is, whether you're, you, you are sick or whether you are healthy. This is who God is, whether you've got lots of money and lots of success from the world's point of view or not. God doesn't change. And so, you know, the application of the challenge for parents, I would say, is one, take off the blindfold yourself and realize, no, actually, God is still here. And God is God. God never leaves me. As, as my heavenly Father, He's here to protect and defend and and ultimately win my heart. But we've got to begin to to bind that on the foreheads of our kids, right? They talk about that in the Bible, and it's it's interesting that bind in the Bible is the the Hebrew term is engrave. So it's literally like I know we don't we we you know we we've there's differing opinions on whether tattooing is okay. I mean, there's a there's a point in the Bible that says literally tattoo this on your kid's forehead, right? That our God is faithful. And I think for students, it's time for us to move beyond our situations and circumstances and letting our emotions determine our faith and say, no, I'm going to choose to lean into the faithfulness of God. And parents, the way that, the way that it will make that easier for them is if you demonstrate your faithfulness to your, to your kids while you're demonstrating your faithfulness to God. Because again, a lot of times what happens is we, we tend to 
we tend to project onto God the reflection of faithfulness we get from our own fathers, right? So like when, when I hear the word dad or I hear the word heavenly father, I immediately think of my earthly father and how my earthly father treats me is how I assume God's going to treat me. And so parents, we've got to begin to demonstrate our faithfulness to our kids. Doesn't mean that they won't get in trouble. Doesn't mean we can't discipline them when they make mistakes. It doesn't mean we can't hold them accountable. Like, no, we can do all those things. But to our kids, we've got to begin to demonstrate to them the same kind of faithfulness that God demonstrates to us, right? He's all in, no matter what. There's no condition. And from a student perspective, it is, man, you, you gotta, we've got to get to a place where emotion at the end of the day isn't what rules, right? How I'm feeling isn't what rules. It's I choose to trust in God despite the fact that I'm sad, despite the fact that I'm angry, despite the fact that I may feel lonely. I, choose, I still choose to trust him. I'm all in no matter what. Yeah. It's like developing muscle memory, right? Like you've got you've to model it and then you've got to help your student develop the muscle memory so that it no longer becomes a, a fight against logic, a fight against instinct, a fight against temptation. But that first instinct is, oh, my father's there. Like he's standing there with me. He's yeah. ready. He's ready to take me. It makes me think about uh, our team did active shooter training a couple months ago, and a big part of that was when when that shooter in a simulation walks in the room. The first thing you have to do is decide which way to run. Yep. You have to assess your surroundings. You have to look for doorways. You have to decide: Am I going to run this way? or Am I going to run that way? That's ultimately going to define the outcome of this situation. Um, and again, just like I said earlier, that doubt doubt is a neutral thing. You know that pain circumstance, disaster, destruction, all of those things are neutral in this mindset, in this perspective. Those are all neutral events, and it's your choice to decide, am I going to run away from God in this pain, in this doubt, in this destruction uh, when life goes crazy, or is this going to cause me to run towards God? Am I going to choose the truth that his arms are open? Am I going to choose the truth that he's standing there? And another throwback to the to the David and Goliath week, he, you know, we we also have to remember where his perspective is because mm-hmm. he's not at eye level with us, you know, staring danger in the face. He's up there with a full view, uh, a view outside of time, outside of space, outside of 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 our narrow, uh, you know, perception of the world, and he knows how to conquer everything that needs to be conquered. Uh, so so I think it's it's cool to to begin to think of faithfulness in that way that it's not about how. F- far we can run. It's not about how fast we can run. And it's not about us having to choose in the moment, uh, you know, what the most logical or best direction is, because we know the best direction is God. Yep. The best direction is the Father. Um, and He's there ready and, and, and waiting for us to run in that direction. That's good. That's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, uh, I think that's all we have for this week. Next week, we'll be back with uh, one more lesson from David's life, which that's is right. how to rest how well. How to rest. Yeah, that's right. Um, it's kind of a, an inverse of the David and Bathsheba story where he did not rest well. Uh, we see later in his life as he kind of refines that skill, as he writes some psalms uh, on that subject. And so we're looking forward to that. That's right. How to rest. That's a big deal. Yeah. And it comes at a great time, right at, right at, right at spring break. Perfect. So hopefully you'll be able to watch next week's podcast while you're resting somewhere Probably in Destin, because that's where most of Louisville decides to go. Yeah, next week, catch us on the way back from Destin. That's right. Awesome. Thanks. See you guys next week.